Hey, good to see you. Have a seat. So I know for some of you, as you walked in, we violated your uh, sensibilities and your rules in terms of Christmas. Some of you do not listen to Christmas music before uh, Thanksgiving. We're sorry, but not really. Um, It's all going along with the theme we've got going for you this morning. We'll talk about that in a little bit. We're going to participate in communion in just a couple of moments. Every Sunday, we get the chance to be exposed to the Word of God, both the Word of God, the Bible, as well as the Word of God, Jesus Christ. We get that opportunity to be reminded that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, that God revealed Himself to us in the form of His Son, and that He gave us His Word, His written Word, so that we know how to live. So on Sundays, one of the things we do is take communion as that chance, again, to be reminded that the Word became flesh and that he is there for us, he walks with us, we truly are never alone. We also take the time to listen to a passage of scripture. Uh, It's not always necessarily related to what we're studying that morning, but to just hear God's word washed over our hearts, to maybe listen for a word or a phrase where God just kind of takes that and makes it meaningful for you. So we read the word and then we take a couple moments for silence. And the way we'll break the silence today is we'll come out and actually pray the Lord's Prayer together. And I know for a lot of us, we come from uh, many different faith traditions. And so you may have a little bit different way of praying the prayer that someone else will actually put a a version on the screen so that you can follow along and and we can pray together. Having said that, uh, for some of you, it is so much a part of your uh, being that when we say you, you might say thou, and that's great because God knows we're praying to him and not to each other. So the passage we're going to read actually goes along beautifully with the topic of today as we talk about being attentive to other people. It's about the very first community that ever existed, the very first human relationship. God began in verse 18 of Genesis 2 by saying, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a partner suitable for him. Now the Lord God formed out of the ground all of the wild animals, and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that's what its name was. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs And then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to him. The man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. For she was taken out of the man. That is why a man leaves his father and his mother and is united to his wife. And they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked. And they felt no shame. This is the word of the Lord to us. Dear humble, gentle Jesus. Every one of us walk in here today carrying our own burden. We have something on our minds or in our hearts that feels a little heavy. You know them. Because you know us. You know us better than we know us. And today you have invited us to come and and lay that, that burden to literally lay our lives before you. Promising 
that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. We entrust ourselves to you. We entrust ourselves to your care. Help us to understand today the word that you have given to us so that we can live more and more every day to look like you. And we pray all of this in your name, in your authority. Amen. It's been many years now since a book was written that some of you might be familiar with. Some of you might even recognize this particular edition. It was written by a man named Gene Getz. He's a pastor, professor, Bible teacher uh, in Texas. And he wrote a book called Building Up One Another. Now, he wrote it long enough ago that this was kind of the pre-small group era. So a lot of people, they, they studied this in their Sunday school class or read it by themselves. And, and basically, it was a book that went through uh, several of the one another's in the Bible. The places where one another is used in the way that we're supposed to treat each other. So it talks, for example, about being devoted to each other, honoring each other, greeting each other, submitting to each other. All these different one another's are listed. And I think that Getz, along with some other people in his time, probably Ray Stedman and others, they saw something in evangelicalism that bothered them a bit. They saw that we're, we're really good at using this when it comes to knowing God. We know our stuff. We know our Bibles. We can quote verses. We can quote the addresses of verses. We've got that stuff down. But he and others were recognizing that we were kind of missing out on the relational side of Christianity. We were really good at knowing our stuff. We weren't as good at knowing each other. In fact, if your church experience was like my church experience... I'd go to Sunday school at 9.45, church morning, church at 11. We'd go back and do something in the afternoon at church. We had 7 o'clock evening service. And then we went back again on Wednesday night and did it all over again. We were together a lot. But we were together in a context much like this. Everybody sitting in chairs, in rows, staring forward, listening to someone teach, someone talk. We didn't do a lot of chatter together. I must admit, we wrote notes every once in a while, and we got in trouble for that. But outside of that, uh, everything was kind of going this way, not with each other. So you had a lot of people who were very well informed, really knew their stuff. But we were missing out on this important piece of biblical community, of really doing life together together. And part of the reason he wrote this was to get us back to there's this piece of Christianity that we're really missing out on and we need to get back to this part of really being a body. Um, My own experience, very first church I went to as a pastor, church in St. Louis, 30 people on a good Sunday. It was a small church. They had been together for 10 years working on getting this church up and running. Many of these people had been there from day one. And I was amazed as I got to know these people personally, how many of them had deeply tragic stories. They had things in their lives that were really painful. And one woman come to me one day, she was probably in her late 40s, early 50s. And she started talking about the fact that as a teenager, she had become pregnant. She gave up that child for adoption. And nobody in her life knew it. She said, I am literally telling you, you're the very first human being I've told outside of my my parents and the people that existed at that time. Very first human being I'm telling this. And I'm going, how in the world? How in the world can you carry around that kind of pain and be in a group of 30 other people for 10 years and not know each other's burdens and carry each other's burdens and be a part of each other's lives in a deep and meaningful way. 
God calls us to more than just knowing verses. He wants us to know each other. He wants us to be attentive to him, but he also wants us to be attentive to each other. He wants us to grow together in relationship. One of the one another's is found in Galatians chapter 6. We read these words, bear one another's burdens and, fu- and so fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? I'm, I'm thinking that it probably has to do with what Jesus said when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. How do you fulfill that kind of love? Well, in part by bearing each other's burdens. What does it mean to bear the burden of another person? To actually help them carry the heaviness in their life. If you look at this in different translations, you read it means carry each other's burdens, share each other's burdens, to be there for each other. I want to show you a tool that you might find helpful. This is just a little aside. There's a, there's a, a website called BibleGateway.com. And if you go there, much like you version and others, you can punch in a verse, put in, the, put in the address, and it'll bring up the verse, and you can look at it in different versions. Well, one of the versions that they have on theirs is a Greek interlinear Bible. Now, you don't have to know Greek in order to figure this out. Okay, this is pretty cool. You can actually dig into a word a little bit and learn a little bit more about it. So what I did, I wanted to know more about that word bear. Bear one another's burdens. What does that mean? And so I put that in there. And and the cool part is, if you press the word, so I pressed the word bear, it brought up this, this side screen. And it tells me that the Greek word is bastazo. And then it starts telling me the different meanings of this throughout the Bible. So it means to lift, to raise, to bear aloft, to bear, to carry in the hands or above a person, to carry as carrying a message. It just gives me all these different pieces, including the fact that it involves burden, enduring, and suffering, and sustaining, to actually tolerate, to be there for someone else. Just one of the ways that you yourself can go ahead and dig a little deeper into a word and understand the meaning of that word. God calls on us in his body to bear the burdens of other people. And that's just one of the many one another's in the Bible. It's a beautiful text in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12. As you think about the book of Romans, my guess is you think about it in terms of it being a book of theology. A lot of rich theology. A lot of stuff there that i got to admit, after all these years, I'll still be reading it and go, Paul, what in the world were you saying here? And you're just trying to understand what in the world is the meaning behind what he's saying. Can't wait to take that course in heaven. I mean, I just, I want to hear Paul explain some of what he wrote in Romans. Having said that, as you get toward the end of the book, he moves from a very technical, theological book to a very practical, relational book. He starts talking about the way we're supposed to treat each other in our families, in our neighborhoods, in the church. How are we supposed to be treating other people? If you read these words, what I'd like you to do is take them and hold them up against your own relationships and ask the question, how am I doing in my relationships? Now, how are other people doing toward me? How am I doing in my relationships? He begins by saying, love must be sincere. Seems self-evident, and yet he wrote it. Apparently, sometimes we miss that, that love is actually supposed to be a sincere act. He says, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Do you hear that? Don't just kind of be in each other's lives. Dig deeply into each other's lives. Let those roots go down deep. When the first sign of trouble comes, don't run away. Work through it. Really have that level of devotion and commitment to each other. Honor one another above yourselves. 
He says, don't always be looking for how you can be pointed out, how you can be elevated. You actually be the one to elevate someone else, to put them in the place of honor. By the way, as we go through this, you'll realize that a lot of these one another's come from Romans chapter 12. He says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. I'll tell you what, you could take verse 12, that's a refrigerator verse, put it up. With the stuff we're going through in our world right now, those three lines, joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, are so helpful to us. He says, share with the Lord's people who are in need. You can't look at someone else in the body of Christ who's in need and say, well, I hope it all works out for them. He says, my goodness, you've got resources, help them. And then these two ending words, practice hospitality. Get to know what it means to actually live life with someone else, to care about them that way, to bring them into their home, to be in their home, to be a part of their lives, to show them true hospitality. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Hey, somebody invites you to a party? Have fun. Rejoice. You're at someone's funeral? Mourn with them. Be sad with them. Match them in their emotion. Be there with them. Live in harmony with one another. Be, be in unity. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. It's one of the beautiful pieces of the body of Christ that class doesn't matter. We're all one. doesn't matter how much or how little you have. We're all one, and we're supposed to treat each other that way. Now, he moves on beyond those relationships to even talk about the way we're supposed to treat people who don't like us. He says, don't repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You just take these verses. You know, there's a lot going on in our world right now, and our tendency is to react and kind of muscle up and all that sort of stuff. Here are the words of Jesus. Here are the words of Paul. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. What is he saying here? Do not take revenge, my dear brothers and sisters, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. No, he goes on to say, if your enemy is hungry, give him food. If your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome evil by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, you could take these 12 verses, just these 12 verses, and you could work on them for the next three decades. You could work on them for the rest of your life. You could just take one line. And say, for the next month, I'm going to work on what it means to practice hospitality. And in doing so, this wouldn't just be that you're doing a little self-improvement. You know, little behavior modification. You're obeying the Bible. The Bible says practice hospitality. So why not say, for a month, I'm going to work on just this command. I'm going to practice hospitality. I'm going to work on these one at a time and just see where God's Spirit moves me in terms of growing in Christ-likeness. God calls us into relationship, not just knowing about him, but really knowing him. Not just knowing about other people, but really knowing other people. God wants us to cultivate a spirit of attentiveness. How often have you been in a situation where, you know, you're just kind of buzzing through your day, you're doing something, and you look up and you realize there are people there. You know, someone's walked into the room and you didn't even notice it, and you go, oh my word, I I didn't even know you were there. Now, I know that happens from time to time. We get really busy. But some of us live life that way. 
We live life that way. We don't even notice other people are there, which got me kind of asking the question, what diminishes our attentiveness toward others? What are the things that happen in our lives that we kind of go, I didn't even notice you were there? And here God has placed this beautiful gift in your life in the form of another human being, and you didn't even notice they were there. What's happening? Well, the first one, you know, I was kind of thinking through it, and I was like, well, self-centeredness. Sometimes we're self-centered. Sometimes we're just rude. And I'm kind of thinking through all these words, and then I, I guess I boiled them all down to one and said, yeah, sometimes we lack attentiveness because of sin. We're just doing what is wrong. God says that we're supposed to pay attention to other people, that we're supposed to be hospitable toward each other people. Instead, we're having moments of rudeness or moments of self-centeredness. And throughout that passage, he said, my goodness, you're supposed to get your eyes off yourself and onto other people, off your interests and onto the interests of others. You see, for a lot of us, when it comes to attentiveness toward other people, we need to begin with repentance. We need to begin by just saying to God, God, I'm sorry, I've not been obeying you. We come across those passages sometimes by Paul, and we think he's just giving a checklist of nice things. Try this. Give this a whirl. See how this works in your relationships. You might might want to try out a little bit of this. No, these are commands. These are biblical commands. These are the way we're supposed to treat people in the body of Christ. This is the way we're supposed to treat people within our families. So for some of us, it may just begin by saying, God, I'm sorry. I have not recognized you've given me beautiful gifts all around, and I've been ignoring them. Sometimes it's a lack of curiosity. We just really don't want to know more about anybody else. Maybe we're a little self-absorbed. Maybe we're just a little overwhelmed. Whatever's going on, we lack curiosity. You know, every person that comes into your life is a unique expression of the image of God. Every person is a unique expression of the image of God. Don't you want to know that story? Don't you want to know more about who that person is, why God placed them on this earth, what their story is all about? So what does that mean? We become a lot better at asking questions and not asking questions so that we can hear something that sparks a memory in our head so that we can launch and say, oh, that reminds me of, and we tell our story, but we're actually curious enough to try to find out what's going on in the life of that other person. Who is this unique expression of the image of God that has been placed in front of me? I'll go for one of the obvious. Too often we're distracted by technology. And, you know, we could talk cell phones and we could talk texting. We could all talk all that. But honestly, this has been going on for at least 50 years. That beautiful machine that sits in our, tele, in, our, in, our, in our living room, sits there and just delivers messages to us all the time. You know, my goodness, back in the good old days, we actually had to, like, stand up, walk across the room, you know, turn the knob, go back and sit down. Thank goodness we only had like nine stations. I mean, this whole 600 station thing now, you, we would be one fit nation if we'd throw away our remotes and actually just walk over to the TV and go ahead and up and back and up and back. Nonetheless, how many of us get in this TV mode? That person who we love or claim to love comes walking into the room and we're glued because chopped is on. And I've seen this episode six times, but I still can't remember who wins in the end. And you want to talk about this when I'm about to learn what to do with a duck liver? This is not the time to talk. Wait until the next episode is done and the next episode is done. We've become addicted to these things. I tell you what, you can almost see, you can see a rewiring of the human brain going on. That this pings, dings, or rings, and boom, we're on it. But a human voice will say something, 
And it's like we're just lost in a fog. We need to start getting away from this and instead start realizing the precious gift that God has given us is not a device from AT&T and Apple, but it's a human being that's right now standing in your presence that deserves our attention. And so we draw ourselves away from the technology and toward a human being. Give you another one, and that is sometimes we're just about too much talky-talky. We're great at filling airspace. We're great at making sure that everybody knows our story. And so we talk and talk and talk and talk. Have you ever been in one of those conversations? It wasn't really a conversation. It was a monologue, and you got to go ahead and observe it. As the person talked and talked, and you waited for a crack. You waited for a moment to just kind of go, uh, and one never came because they just went and went and went. You may actually have one of these relationships or you may be this person. And what you're starting to realize is that person doesn't know you or you don't really know the other people because you're always busy filling the airspace and not stopping long enough to let someone else actually do some speaking. And it's amazing to me that what will happen, we'll be talking and talking and talking, and we might finally offer a little bit of a moment for the other person to say something, but what does that do? It sparks a memory of something that's happened to us, and boom, we launch again. Instead of actually being quiet for a little bit, to allow the space to be filled by the other person. Let me give you a verse that you'll love. You may want this one for your fridge as well. Proverbs ten nineteen. don't talk... Too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. That's in the Bible. I didn't make that up. You can look it up yourself. It's in there. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. Sometimes attentiveness comes down to putting a lock on our lips and actually paying attention to what's going on with the other person instead of us just doing all the speaking. Which probably leads to the other one is that we, a lot of us have developed just really poor listening skills. We're not great listeners. When someone's talking, we're formulating our next thought. We're figuring out the next thing we're going to say. In fact, if we could see our face in that moment, we would realize just how distant and distracted we look in the moment. Because we're not paying attention to the person. We're not hearing what they're saying. We're trying to figure out what our next move of wisdom is going to be. What's the, what's the next thing we're going to say that's going to bring some brilliance to the moment instead of actually hearing what the other person is saying? To take the time to really listen. Listening, again, sometimes means I'm just not going to talk as much. I'm going to let the other person actually speak. It means that I'm going to ask questions that allow the person to unfold something. And then, by the way, when I ask the question, I'm going to let them answer it completely instead of breaking them off after four words and taking them in a different direction. Actually expressing the ability to listen to them instead of just, again, filling the space with talk. Another verse from Proverbs. A truly wise person uses few words. A person with understanding is even-tempered. Even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. With their mouth shut, they seem intelligent. Gotta wonder how many people around us seem really smart, and the reason they seem really smart is they don't open their mouth to let us know how dumb they really are. You know, I, there's something to be, this is a verse in the Bible again. This isn't just a cute little saying out there somewhere. Saying, you know, sometimes we reveal our ignorance by talking too much. And we'd be better off actually just stopping long enough to hear what's going on with the other person. There's hearing the words. And then there's this other part of hearing. Now you're starting to move into real attentiveness. Not just hearing the words, but hearing beyond the words. 
When you're listening in a conversation, are you listening beyond the words? Now, I'm not talking about reading between the lines. I'm talking about are you really paying attention to entirely what's going on with that other person? Because when they're talking, it's not just that their mouth is moving and noise is coming out. Their whole body is telling the story. Their whole body is saying something. So one time, long time ago, I'm meeting with a couple. They're going through a struggle. And we're talking, and I'm in front of them, and they're sitting side by side. The woman's sitting here. The guy's sitting here. And as the guy is talking throughout the conversation, I'm not kidding. This is what he was doing. She's there. I'm there. I don't know if I can do this well. (laughs) What's this saying to you when you're sitting in front of the person? I know it must look lovely from where you are right about now. It must be beautiful. I mean, closed? It just absolutely indifferent to what's happening. You know what's funny? All his answers were the right answers. All his words were the right words. And I'm looking at his body and going, Houston, we got a big problem. We got a big problem going on here. And, you know, it wasn't just that his sciatica was acting up or something. Oh, now I've done it. I may just have to finish here. There we go. Are you watching what's going on? You know, some of us are great at eye rolling when we talk. You an eye roller when you talk? You don't eye roll just because you had a little spasm. You eye roll because you're saying something. When, when, when you eye roll and the other person says your eyes, you no, I didn't. Yeah, I did. You said something with your eyes. It's interesting to listen to people talk sometimes about tragedy in their life. Real pain. And they do one of two things that just always intrigues me. They'll be talking about tragedy and they're laughing as they're telling the story. And you kind of go, what's up with that? What's up with that? that? That as they're telling something that hurts, it's actually coming across as funny. Or they'll be talking about something that's incredibly painful. And as they are, they're talking as if they're a reporter on ABC News. They're just telling the facts. There's no emotion. There's no, there's no heart in it. They're just telling the facts. And you stop and go, what's up with it? If you're not attentive, you're missing all this stuff. All you're hearing is words. And you're thinking about what you're going to say next that sounds brilliant. But you can actually be paying attention to the entirety of the person. I think this is what Jesus did. Jesus paid attention to the whole person. He paid paid attention to a woman at a well at the wrong time of day. And he was able to learn some things about her even before she opened her mouth. Because he was paying attention beyond the words. Again, not just reading between the lines, but hearing Beyond the words. How about this one? We live in fix-it mode. How many of you get in trouble every time someone's talking to you because you got the answer to all their problems? I remember when I was younger, I used to have a line and went something like this. If I could just live in their life for two weeks, I could fix them. Everything would be better. Really? Really? Okay, you can't talk about fixing without watching this. Some of you have seen it before and just laugh. You'll have fun. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know, and sometimes it feels like it's right up on me and I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless and I don't know if it's going to stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever going to stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head, 
It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there... Stop trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing... You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. See, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail out. See, you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just... Sometimes it's like there's this achy... I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. That sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Oh, come on. If you would just... Don't... Funny, jump back to the last one. He didn't even need to say anything. If you were reading him, reading his eyes, reading what... You heard an awful lot without hearing a word. But, yeah, we are... We're great at fixing. And and I want to assign a sincere uh, motive to this and not a bad one. We're great at fixing because we think that's what the person wants and needs. Right? I mean, if somebody comes to me with a problem, they don't want to walk away still having the problem. They want an answer. And so we give them the answer. And we're real quick to answer. And here's my question. When we are quick to fix, do we actually rob that person of learning something God's trying to teach them? We're quick to want to teach them what what we want to teach them. But is it possible that if they work their way through the pain with us simply expressing empathy and hearing their story, they might actually figure out through the guidance of God what the fix is rather than us trying to short-circuit the work that God is trying to do in their life. This is a tough thing to do because to us, the nail is obvious. There it is. All I need is some pliers. We can fix this now person needs to discover it for themselves and we can be part of the work of god in their life helping them to see that for some of us we have very little appreciation for the power of silence if you happen to catch the speech this past week by benjamin netanyahu at the un uh, the man knows the power of silence 45 seconds of not saying a word and just looking around the room it will be remembered for years to come he was able to use silence to say something We don't tend to use silence to say something. We tend to use words to say something. Sometimes what is needed is a moment of just being quiet with the other person. Think of Job and his friends. Job's friends were so quick to try to fix Job. What would have been much better is 38 chapters of Job's friends just being quiet in his presence and letting God do the work God wanted to do in Job's life instead of the work they wanted to do in Job's life to actually appreciate that silence. I'll give you one more, and that is that sometimes we don't see, we're not attentive, because we're exhausted and overwhelmed, and that's real life. It's real life. Sometimes you are just absolutely full up, and the last thing you want to do in that moment is listen to someone else. Listening takes energy. Listening takes hard work, and we could at least be polite enough to the other person to say, hey, in this moment, I'm full. I can't do this right now. I'd love to be there for you. And I need a little time, and then we can talk. But if I spend time listening right now, I'm not going to hear you. I'm not going to hear what's going on. So actually to be polite enough to be honest with the person about where we are, instead of kind of faking it through the conversation. 
Look at these words from James. Again, words that we could just absolutely practice. This one verse, we could just keep working it over and over in our lives. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. You know what's funny? I look at that verse. I know what it means to be slow to speak. I get that. I know what it means to be slow to get angry. But I've never associated the word quick with listening. I'm a fast listener. What's that all about? I looked at this in other places in the Bible. Where else do we see the word quick used this way? Well, when the angel says to the, to the, to the women, go tell, my, go tell Jesus' disciples quickly now. Go tell his disciples that Jesus has risen. Uh, in the story of the prodigal son, the father says, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. In John 11, when Jesus is coming and Lazarus is dead, Mary got up quickly and went to him. It should be a first, it should be immediate, it should be our number one response. Not to speak, not to get ticked off because the other person isn't getting it, but to actually to be quick to listen, quick to hear what they're saying. So let's just work this through. What would it look like in daily life? First, try this. Look up. Not right now. I'm talking about in conversation. Look up. We do a great disservice to the people we love by continuing to do what we're doing when they walk in the room. I, I suspect in some of you, your marriage and relationships would be radically transformed if you do one simple thing this week. The familiar noise starts from the other room and you turn your head and look at the person as they come in. I, I'm, I'm telling you, a lot of them, they'd kind of go, what, what are you looking at? Because they're not used to looking at your eyes. We've lost this beautiful art of just looking a person in the eyes when we have a conversation. We're staring at our phone. We're staring at our television. We're staring off into the universe. Why not actually just lock eyes with the person and see? Because again, this conversation is about more than the words coming out of their mouth. What's going on with their face? What's going on with their body? And let's at least show them the great value. You are a person created in the image of God, and I want to take the time to actually pay attention to you. Look up. The next one, lean in. Now, I'm not talking about body posture here, okay? That's not what this is about. I'm talking about, would you give your all to the conversation? You know, again, it would be unique. I know this would happen in every family. It would be unique if as that person started to talk to you, you actually took this thing and placed it upside down over here, and pushed it away. Right now, you have my attention. What would leaning in be for you that it actually looks like you're saying, right now, you have my attention? So you're actually looking at the person, and you're leaning in by getting rid of anything else that might be distracting in that moment. For some of you, if you turned off the television, uh, your family, would, they wouldn't even know what to do in that moment. You actually turned off the TV for me? That's amazing. Look up, lean in, listen, really listen. Hear the words, hear the vocalization, hear the facial expression, hear the, hear the person. Have them feel by the time they're done, like you did them the great honor of actually paying attention to their existence. And finally, just less talk. We all need to learn how to do less talking in the conversation, more asking more listening, and less just filling the space with noise. God calls on us to be attentive to each other. Not to just know verses, but to know each other. To know God, 
and to really know him, to know people and to really, really know them. Can we be that kind of community? The kind of community that even when we're doing something as simple as walking down the hallway, we actually look each other in the eye and give people that expression of value. You matter to me. I noticed that you exist. Let's talk to our Father in heaven. We are grateful, God, that you have given us your word and that we can know it. And we're grateful that you've given us other human beings and we can know them. I pray this week, last week we spent time just noticing the fingerprints of you on our lives. This week I pray that we would be far more attentive to the fact that there are people all around us and they are worthy of attention. They deserve to be heard. They deserve to have us look in their eyes long enough so that they know, they know that we actually noticed them. They know that we paid attention to them. Help us to live that kind of life, that we're absolutely attentive to other people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.